and I got the 700 on October 3rd with blue-footed booby off the coast of California. I was on 77 airplanes. I didn't need wandering towers for the year, but I needed great help. I flew to Miami, and I got down there, and, and I saw the bird. Woke up in Miami, got in an airplane, day trip to San Diego, took an Uber to Red-Throated Pippet, saw Red-Throated Pippet, spent about an hour there. A friend of mine brought me back to the airport. I it was back on a plane, and I ended up sleeping in my own bed that night. I had the opportunity to either get my COVID vaccine or go chase a yellow growth beak that was coming to a feeder in Colorado for and I'd be a responsible adult and get my COVID vaccine. By the time Katie Festival finished, the bird was no longer being seen. Soon as yellow growth beak showed up, I would go chase it immediately. I earned this bird sort of a <laughs> thing, you know? Fresh off seeing a gray-crowned rosy finch here in southern Ontario, I'm sitting in a Starbucks enjoying a caramel boule latte before I go back out birding. This rare visitor from the west, the rosy finch, not the latte, can be found from New Mexico all the way up to British Columbia and showed up at a feeder in the small town of Middleton, Ontario. Turned out to be the home of Michelle Carnier, whom I met in May of 2022 at Rondeau Provincial Park looking for a summer tanager. She saw me and another birder on the side of the road with our scopes and slowed down, opened her window, I asked if she was looking for the summer tanager, and in fact she was, and like me, was about to give up and head out of the park. The three of us did get to enjoy great views of this summer tanager and a scarlet tanager, both in the same tree at the same time. That was cool. It was a great bird for my Canada big year and a lifer for Michelle. It was a Canada lifer for me, actually. It was so nice of her to invite the birding community onto her property this week to view the Grey Crowned Rosie Finch. As I have repeatedly said, the birding community and birders in particular are some of the nicest people and often go out of their way to help other birders. All that being said, I now need to introduce part two of my conversation with Tiffany Kirsten. If you've heard part one, you know that she broke the lower 48 big year record in 2021. If you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to that now. And like birders in Ontario, there were so many people in the lower 48 states that came to her aid whenever she needed a little assistance in seeing a rare bird or two during her big year. So let's pick up where we left off. I believe Tiffany was telling us that a hot shower in a nice hotel might have been preferable to all the nights she spent in tents. Well, Big Year is intense. But as she says, it was all part of the adventure. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, if, I, if my finances had been different, I definitely would have enjoyed uh, a few more hot showers, <laughs> a few more hotel rooms on my big year. But, you know, and, and that, so that also did add, I think, to the adventure and to the, like, a positive, in a positive spin, positively add the adventure, but negatively, I think, added to the amount of risk that I took big year and, and camping in sometimes very, very remote places by myself. So after migration, you now were at the point where you were going for the record or? I still was just facing 700. It wasn't really until sometime probably in August or September that I, I realized that the record was within reach. And I got the 700 on October 3rd with blue-footed booby off the coast of California. And so when I hit the 700, I, I took a look at that spreadsheet that I had made where I deleted some of those individual birds off. I was like, well, I don't need this one, don't need this one, don't need this one. I can still get to 700. I factored those back in, and then I was like, okay, and if a handful of rarities show up and they stay around for me to chase them, the record's not likely, but it is possible. What was the record at that Sorry? time? 724 was the record. 
And so right around when I hit 700 was right also right around the time when I basically ran out of money from the, you know, the GoFundMe helped a ton. I was able to raise about $7,000 worth my travels through the GoFundMe. And then, but then I, I did end up by the end of the year still with about $8,000 in credit card debt, which was a, a very scary place to be, especially when I was starting my own business and I didn't even know if, if it was going to work, if I could be a full-time bird guide and make a living off of it. And you've done that and so much more. So congratulations on that. What did you have to chase and how far did you have to travel to get some of these rarities to break the record? Oh man. So I was on 77 airplanes, almost all of that being within the last several months of the year. Really, I didn't it all until, yeah, after I hit 700, like October. And then November, December was full of airplane travel. But I was, yeah, it was, it was all over the place. It was wild. A lot of people kind of think of traveling, flying all over to seabirds as like this awesome, sexy thing. But really, it's absolutely exhausting. And pretty much no fun at all. It's not a glamour job. Having traveled, having 40 years and stayed in hotels for 40 years, there's something nice about it, but people don't realize how just exhausting and tiring it is. And it takes a lot of effort sometimes to just drive yourself to the airport when you're exhausted, but you have to see that bird. Yeah. So it it helped to have other people kind of following me and pushing me along. Really, honestly, if if there wasn't if there weren't so many people paying attention, I would probably just like, ah, like I'm done. I probably would quit at 700. But I remember actually there was so there was one day I had gone. A wandering tattler was reported reported in the Florida Keys, which that's that a long way from home. <laughs> then the next day it was like, nope, nope, nope. This isn't a wandering tattler. This is a gray tailed tattler, Ooh. which is even crazy. And so then suddenly the next day I had to go. Right, I didn't need wandering tattler for the year, but I needed gray tail. And so. I flew to Miami and I got down there and, and I saw the bird well, that same afternoon. And then I got back to my hotel in Miami and spent the night in Miami, woke up in Miami, got in an airplane, day trip to San Diego, landed in the airport, took an Uber three miles from the airport to Red Throated Pippet, saw Red Throated Pippet, spent about an hour there. A friend of mine picked me up, brought me back to the airport, saved me the $25 three mile Uber ride back and I was back on a plane and I ended up sleeping in my own bed that night so I woke up in Florida day trip to California and then was sleeping in my own bed in Texas and that 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 was probably the absolute most extreme day but there were multiple days when I was you know all the way to one coast one day all the way to the next coast the other day I know the feeling and it's one of those things that sort of plays with your mind because I've experienced where I've been sitting in an airport and forgot where I was and like what city am I in for me because I have some cognitive issues I was always one step behind where I actually was and it took a lot of effort to get myself thinking about what the next step was and getting myself on track did you ever feel like you sort of lost track of the days and where you were absolutely yeah and so almost all the flying that I did I flew American I went with whatever flight was cheapest at the beginning and then at some point it was like mostly the American flights made sense so I just became super loyal to American Airlines and got the American Airlines credit card and then started seeing all those perks. Yeah. But the everything goes through Dallas. Dallas is the hub for American. And so I would be in the Dallas airport and especially on the Skylink. And to, when I travel to this day, Skylink that connects the different terminals by train is like kind of my my check-in for like where I'm at in my life. It's okay. <laughs> like doing now, it's the weirdest place ever. It's like, you know, it's a place that's like, it's almost special to me. And I did have a lot of those moments where I was like, wait, 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 like, am I coming or going? Like where? I don't even, like I would lose track. 
track of where I was going next. You know, I'd be like just navigating my way to my next gate, but not remembering even what city I was going to. It was, mm. it was uh, all a blur. At what point did you break the record and was it a special bird? So on December 18th, I was looking at Smith's Long Spurs in Oklahoma with a woman and her boyfriend who I had met online on social media on Facebook. You know, I said, I'm going to, I need to go for these birds if anyone wants to join me. And she said, I live in Tulsa. I'm happy to pick you up from the Tulsa airport. You're welcome to stay at our place. We can take you to the bird first thing in the morning. The next morning, I was like, perfect. This bird is free except for the plane <laughs> ticket. <laughs> That's how and we so justify things, right? Yeah, it was free. It I'm didn't sorry? cost me anything. That's how we justify these trips. It didn't cost oh, me anything yeah. to see the bird. <laughs> so, yeah, so I stayed with them, and we were standing in the middle of the field. We heard the Smith Lawn Spurs, and then we saw them, and then I was trying to document them with my, my spotting scope. I don't carry a camera anymore, so everything I documented was either digiscope or digibin, mm-hmm. taken with my cell phone through my binoculars and my spotting scope. And so we're standing in the middle of the field and I had I had, you know, seen the birds at this point very well and, you know, they're 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 there. They're just there. No one was gonna question whether or not I saw it. And I got a text message and I looked at these people in the middle of the field and I said, you know, almost almost strangers, you know, they were strangers twenty four hours ago. And I said, We have to go. And they said, Where? And I said, I don't even know. And and we'd had a previous conversation and they said, We don't have anything going on for the day. Wherever you need to go for your next bird, whether it's Stillwater or Tulsa, because we were halfway between the airports, we're happy to take you to either. And they were like, If there's nothing for you to chase at this point, because there wasn't, you know, you're welcome to stay another night place whatever you need and it was 20 degrees I was freezing cold I couldn't use my hands so we got into their car and I warmed up my hands enough to book plane ticket back to McAllen because the first ABA record of a bat falcon was being seen at Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge the very first place that I used to work here Mm. in the Rio Grande Valley how how appropriate yeah yeah and the place that at the time I was on the friends board for we'd gone to talk to Congress in 2018 to talk about the negative effects, ne- negative environmental effects of border walls on the refuges here in the Valley. We're able to save it from getting a border wall and possibly being closed to the public. So basically it's the most special place in the world to me. Mm-hmm. And so I booked my plane ticket out of Tulsa. They took me back to Tulsa. I flew Tulsa to Dallas, Dallas to McAllen, and I got upgraded first class from Dallas to McAllen. And I was sitting on the plane, you know, like I was hearing updates and there's constant updates, constant updates. The bird had originally been seen around 9 a.m. I was going to land about 3.30 p.m. And so it's following the updates, following the updates. It's giving me tons of anxiety. It'd be like, yeah, the bird is here. There'd be like confirmed reports, confirmed reports. And then someone would be like, oh, it just, you know, flew off to the south out of view. And then like 10 to 10 minutes and then it comes back. And so it was just like really emotional up and down on these planes and then of course it'd be radio silence and I wouldn't be connected to the internet during the flight. I was drinking a free glass of red wine on my final flight from Dallas to McAllen and, and, you know, checking my phone every two minutes. We, they told us we were starting to land and they had the, the flight attendants take a seat. And I was in seat, must've been like 1A, like right in the front of first class. And my seat faced awkwardly faced the jump seat facing me, just like staring at this woman basically super nervous, looking at my phone, taking a sip of wine. At one point, I realized, I didn't realize until I kind of caught her eye, I was almost crying, just out of, like, anxiety and stress. And I thought she must have figured I had some kind of dying relative (laughs) situation going on. But I I got up and half ran to my car. It was 85 degrees when I landed, and I was wearing all my winter clothes still, but I didn't 
have 30 seconds to spare to change into a t-shirt or anything and yeah Paul walked to my car paid my paid my parking ticket and or parking yeah parking ticket and then uh, drove the 20 minutes parked and literally ran the half mile from the parking lot at Santa Ana all the way up to Observation Tower and stuck my eyeball into someone's scope that was up there and, and broke the record there um, on December 18th with my 725th bird of bat falcon. That is a bird that broke my heart because it was during COVID and we were not allowed to fly to the States. And Aww. it wasn't as hard a, a bird because I had it on my life list from South America, but it was still, there were birds like the crescent-chested warbler that I couldn't chase because of COVID and a few other ones that just made me feel like I had to do something. And that's why I did the Canada Big Year. And you were talking about that experience of first record. I was in British Columbia. I had two days left before my flight back to Toronto. And I get a message saying that there was a rarity. What was it? it? Oh, it was the Marsh Sandpiper. I had to fly all the way across the country in time zones and think, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And I had that same exact experience on the plane as you did and did virtually the same thing. Landed at the airport, got in the car, had to drive three hours to where the bird was being seen and in the middle of a torrential downpour, got to look at it, took a video that looked like an ultrasound of it walking around in the mud but probably the most exciting experience that you can imagine it wasn't a specific number for the year but it was definitely the most exciting chase that i had and it stayed for three days so even if i hadn't got there right away and that bat falcon did stay for quite some time didn't it it stayed for several months yeah. yeah yeah that was probably the rarest bird i saw and i assume the bat falcon was the rarest bird you saw or was were there others yep yeah. Were there some heartbreaking misses as well? I actually never missed a bird by plane until after I broke the record. I tried for a common crane in Northern California on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Those were some obnoxiously long days looking uh, over the holidays, two straight days all by myself for a common crane and not finding it. It was never seen again. And then I was scheduled for a pelagic out of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, on December 29th. That boat got weathered out and rescheduled to the 30th, and then weathered out again and rescheduled to the 31st. And I was on it, but we didn't see Great Skua. So those were the two birds that I missed by plane all year. The Great Skua was one of the last birds I was trying for in Newfoundland. (laughs) But it was kind of cool that you were chasing, like, literally to the end of the year. How many did you end up with? 726. So I broke the record plus one. So two two birds above the previous record. Was the plus one also a rarity or was that just one you picked up at the end? Yeah, uh, that was a northern lapwing in New okay. Jersey, December 23rd. So you came out of it very satisfied. You had broken a record that you weren't even chasing. And on December 31st, when you got home or on January 1st, how did you feel then? Did you feel like the weight of the world was off your shoulders or did you realize <laughs> that you had to start planning the rest of your life? I felt very relieved. I was very excited to be done frankly with my big year i how did i feel i had been subscribed to the hourly rarity alert from ebird every hour on the hour i was getting alerts since april and so i wondered how i was going to 
do without, if I was going to feel like I was in some kind of withdrawal mode, not getting that constant, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, dopamine every hour, basically. But I didn't, didn't miss that at all. But I did literally January 2nd, I, I started guiding and I had to kind of scramble and start booking as many tours as I possibly could. Because like I said, I was $8,000 in credit card debt. I needed to keep up with my current bills. And then I really only had a partial guiding season because our season for birding down here is like November to early May and most birders. And I, I had an abbreviated season because I had, you know, my big year was November and December. So I needed to not only get rid of my credit card debt, but also save up money to make it through the following summer since nobody comes to visit in the summer. So it was scramble, scramble, scramble. And I guided almost every single day straight through to May and basically burnt myself out. At the end of that guiding season, I was like, what did I do? Do I even really want to be guiding anymore? Going back to kind of how we started this conversation about, you know, making your passion your hobby. I was like, man, I don't even know if I like birding anymore. But I spent the summer, last summer, just recalibrating and intentionally not doing any birding or any guiding. And I love birds again by the fall. That is a nice way to end it because, yeah, I also got to the end of the year and I have an obsessive personality and... I had at one point started a eBird streak that got to about 400 and something or 600 days. And I ended up having to have surgery and spend a night in ICU with no windows and the streak ended. And the next year I started it again and I got to five years on December 31st. And on January 1st, I said to Sue, I think it's time to end the streak. And she says, you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to do it. And I had to just say, break away from it and just take a complete 24 hour period off of birding because I knew if I didn't, it would just perpetuate itself and I wouldn't be able to find that enjoyment of birding again. So I took a few days off, didn't bird for a few days. And then on January 3rd, went out birding and it was just nice. I had, like you had done, I turned off all the hourly eBird alerts and just went out birding and looked at ducks with Sue and thought I could do this for <laughs> without feeling like I'm missing out on anything because of the chasing. And then we had a mm-hmm. few good rarities in Ontario that I ended up having to chase <laughs> anyway. So we had a white wagtail early in the year and it's like, okay, I, I got to go for that. And we also had a couple of birds show up in 2023 that we were 100% sure we were going to get every year and it's not a big deal bird down there a swallowtail kite but we had had a swallowtail kite every year for the last five years in Ontario and five or six other people were doing Ontario big years and they had basically checked that bird off as a bird that they didn't have to worry about and we just didn't get that bird last year and then one showed up early in the year this year and just out of spite I went and chased it. (laughs) I've kind of felt like any bird I missed last year if it shows up I'm going for it I'm getting that bird. It is still part of me the chasing is have you been able to kind of turn off the chasing a little bit or do you still like chasing the rarities when they do show up? So I it's funny because I have one of those birds like your swallowtail kite i had the opportunity in late may to either get my covid vaccine or go chase a yellow gross beak that was coming to a feeder in colorado for a couple weeks Mm. and be a responsible adult and get my covid vaccine because i was about to go work the acadia birding festival in maine and be around a bunch of people there so uh, i did that and by the time i went to acadia festival and acadia festival finished the bird was no longer being seen and myself as soon as after my big year or whenever the next whenever the next yellow gross beak showed up i would go 
chase it immediately, you know? Uh, like, I kind of, like, I earned this bird sort of a thing, you know? <laughs> I'd be responsible. So <laughs> a couple of them have shown up since, and there were recently three of them in Arizona. I just was like, mm, kind of think about going, and then, I'll, and then I just, it just felt like too much work. And the same thing, I've been thinking about chasing a few things here, and there's a large field turn in Florida, and there's been a white turn in Michigan over the last couple of days. Sounds like a good idea. Speaking of the white wing turn, it showed up in Point Pelee this morning. I saw that. And the the speculation, it's the same one. And I have a new friend in Michigan who broke the Michigan big year record in 2022. And I was going to drive down and meet him and go to see the white wing turn with him next week if it was still around. And all of a sudden I see that it's in Point Pelee and I'm like, yeah, but I've got, I've got my interview at five o'clock. So I'm going to be a responsible (laughs) adult and do the interview. And if it's there tomorrow, I will get to see it. But I I will leave early in the morning tomorrow to try for that bird. Definitely, if it was 2022, I would have said, excuse me, but I can't talk to you today. (laughs) And and you would have understood because we we all have to chase the things we have to chase. And I, I know that some of us with family members will, when you tell them that you have to go see this bird, they're like, but you just got back from British Columbia. Why are you going back to British Columbia? Because I was invited on a boat trip so I could see tufted puffin and I have to see a tufted puffin. And I got my wandering tattler on that trip as well. So it was definitely worth it. Well, I am so thrilled to have a chance to talk to you because I had read a lot about you even before this year and thought it was fantastic that you had broken the record. Your record was broken. Did you feel bad about that? Or did you feel like could you have not given me one more year to enjoy it? No, I don't feel bad about it at all. It was actually broken by two brothers yes. traveling together. And so to me, it's, it's not really apples to apples. I, you know, I birded with a lot of people during my big year too. It's not the number of eyes, but... There's the ability to drive cross-country through the middle of the night. One person can drive, one person can sleep, one person can get sick, one person can drive. So it's just different. It's, you know, not apples to apples. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. The record I was chasing was done by a married couple who did a shared eBird list and traveled together every day for the year. And like you, I basically did the big year by myself and thought, you know what, doing what I did by myself with virtually no help, you know, not hiring guides and just meeting people along the way Mm -hmm. made it just as satisfying and probably more satisfying than having someone to depend on the entire year to see all the birds. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a special part of the year was doing it by myself and not relying on other people other than, like you said, people meeting you along the way and birding with you. I appreciate all your time and I hope to run into you. My friend in Michigan told me he birded with you last year and you helped him get the brown jay in Texas. And that's a bird I would love to see. Yeah, we we found them early March and that was the first time they've been seen in Texas in like 11 or 12 years. So Okay, so that's why <laughs> yeah. I never saw one in Texas all the years that I had probably been in Texas at least once a year from 2012 to 2019 and knew of these mythical brown jays, but just never got to see one. If they show up again, I'm going to request a tour with you to come down and see them. Well, they're they're still around. I have have to calculate things very carefully (laughs) before I jump into. I was I was thinking like next year, yeah. But hopefully, the now that they they've come back, they they will stay. 
Is that the same thing yep. with the Tamalipas crows too? They came back after a long absence. Yeah, once every four years or so, we seem to get them. So we're, we're due for it. I'm very much looking forward to the next time I can get down to Texas. Well, you take care of yourself, and I look forward to following your adventures in the future. Yeah, sounds great. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Once again, thank you to Tiffany and all the big year birders who have been on the show these past few months. It's really been a great pleasure to talk to them and get a peek into the minds of birders driven to accomplish a 365-day marathon of birding. Next time, we're going to delve into the minds of birders in a different way. We'll take a brief break from big years and speak with Kelly Sue, the founder of Birder Brains. Having suffered traumatic brain injuries myself and being diagnosed as an adult with OCD, ADHD, and post concussion syndrome, it's important to get message out that it's okay to talk about cognitive and other brain disorders that can make us feel more comfortable in the broader birder community and in life in general. Birders are often seen as introverts and geeks and socially awkward loners. Well, that describes me to a T, but there is more to it than that. And next time we'll take a deeper dive into the brains of birders. Thank you all for listening, and as always, may the birds be with you. Take a break in a Starbucks while enjoying it and I listening. So let's pick off the acts and geeks and social...